Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today, we get to speak with Travis Bauckham. He is the founder and CEO of Balcomi Capital, a boutique investment firm for high net worth and high income individuals. They focus primarily on self-storage facility investments. Welcome to the show, Travis. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's so great to have you because actually right now it's in the zeitgeist or something. Um, I work in the real estate world. I mean, listeners know that. So it, I am a little biased. I, I love when we hit on real estate topics. But for me, I hear about self-storage as like the next big thing. I'm curious, what's your journey that got you from doing something that wasn't working on investments for self-storage and leading you to where you are today? Yeah, so back in 2018, I had a well, from 2012 to 2018, we ended up buying around 400 houses. Uh, we were house people. We wanted to get to 300 rentals and then call it quits and just live off the passive income. And what we found is driving that, uh, you have to have a huge office, you have to have a lot of uh, revenue coming in. So we were ending up just kind of flipping most of those houses. And that was kind of frustrating because the whole go is to keep keep them and eventually retire. And so in 2018, I just shut it all down. And I'm like, there's got to be a better asset class out there or a type of property that produces a lot better passive income. And in researching uh, pretty much every asset class, I, I came across self-storage and it seemed like that was the most simple, most high, or, you know, historically high producing passive income asset class out there. And so we ended up selling uh, the majority of our rentals and going right into self-storage. And I agree with you. I, th I think it is a very hot asset right now. It's a recession-resistant asset. The last three recessions, it's done really well. It'll probably do well where we're at now. This is kind of a unique recession. The, the Fed is kind of forcing a recession uh, as opposed to just greed, which was the most common thing in 2008. And, and then 2001 was the dot-com bubble. But yeah, it's it's. I think there's a lot of focus on it right now because everyone's trying to put their money in something that's not going to tank. And then, generally speaking, I feel like storage is kind of where multifamily was in 2012. It's slowly going from a mom and pop asset to a private equity owned uh, asset uh, in, industry wide. And a lot of people think, okay, storage, right? Maybe they've never had a storage unit. Maybe they've had many in their lives. But what is it that makes it such a solid a solid future in self-storage. Yeah, on on average one out of every two people have some sort of storage uh, unit or they've had a storage unit in the past. The primary reason it does so well is it's a very simple operating business. So, it, you know, it's it, it it's definitely a piece of real estate, but it's also a retail front operating business. And so you have to kind of see it as both of those you have you know any like an average facility has somewhere around 300 300 units uh you can lose 10% of your tenants and you still have 270 units paying most tenants pay less than $200 a month nationwide and so therefore um it's it's kind of like the 
set it and forget it type thing or store your stuff and forget about it. Removing your stuff or putting it somewhere else, the things that you don't want in your house, but also the things you don't want to throw away. $200 is a lot of, isn't a lot of money for you to get up on a Saturday, take your day off and go and remove your stuff to either the dump or your garage or something like that. And so even though you're on a month to month lease, you tend, you know, our tenants tend to stay for a little over two and a half years on average. So we have some tenants that have stayed for over seven years and some that have obviously moved in last week. But generally speaking, it's kind of a, a, a revenue source that doesn't kind of stop. Most people don't leave. So once you fill it up, it kind of stays full. You can put 10 people in, 10 people leave, that sort of thing once it's full. In addition, you can run these remotely, meaning that you can run them from any place in the world. The technology post-COVID has gotten to a place where you don't have to have an on-site manager. Only about 60% of our facilities have on-site managers. And those are typically in really rural areas where people still don't have bank accounts or cell phones. And they come in and pay cash for the for their unit. So if you look at apartments, you're spending 50 to 60% of your revenue on operating expenses. With storage, you're only spending 21 to uh, 42% uh, on, on operating expenses. And the bigger you get, the less operating expenses or the less that percentage is. So the bigger facilities we have are on that around that 21% range. The smaller stuff is around that 42% range. So generally, you just have more of the pie to, or more of the revenue to keep when everything's paid. When all is said and done, the net profit is a lot higher. And do you watch TV shows like Storage Wars and, and kind of laugh? Because I mean, there's actual TV shows, reality shows about your industry. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to watch it back when it was like early in the, I guess, season one, season two. Man, I don't know where they're, they're auctioning those storage units off, but, but we, we get like 60, 70 bucks. We had, we had a really full unit that had a couple of fridges in there and some washer and dryers. I got 700 bucks. But generally speaking... I think a lot of that's fabricated. Uh, most of the stuff that we sell is people's old picture frames and junk and stuff that's broken. So that that also brings to mind like, are, is our society, is this kind of a United States thing? But are we clutter bugs? Like, do we have a lot of like what you're talking about? People were paying $200 a month to store clutter or old picture frames or stuff that doesn't even have any monetary value. Uh, what's What's the issue? What's driving all of that? Yeah, I think generally Americans put a lot of emotion to most things. And so instead of getting rid of something or instead of getting rid of grandma's stuff, you end up just putting it somewhere and you have plans for for it in the future. But generally speaking, most people that use storage are, are moving. And as long as houses are selling, uh, you know, there's a need for storage facilities. Canada is actually growing the fastest when it comes to storage facility development. And then I know a personal friend who is trying to get the sovereign wealth fund in Dubai to build storage units in Dubai. So so I think I bet over the next 20, 30 years, you're going to see storage facilities in a lot more countries outside of just America. But right now, uh, America is definitely leading the charge on, on having uh, buildings to put your old crap in. And do you think it makes the most sense to develop new storage facilities? Or do you think the best strategy is to buy an existing storage facility and then do maybe some value add or just operate it sure. as is. Yeah, it really depends on the market. There's some markets that just can't justify building a new facility. These are typically like tertiary or even some of the sub-secondary markets, so smaller markets, but yet the population growth is growing. 
in major markets, it tends to be better to build from the ground up. You have a tremendous amount of population growth in the facilities that are on site in, in like uh, towns like Austin or Dallas or Atlanta, you know, tend to be antiquated and you know, young professionals want to put their stuff in conditioned spaces as opposed to like a dusty old storage facility that was built in the 80s or 70s. And so it really depends on the market. We've done a little bit of both. Our preference is to buy an existing facility that has expansion room. We repositioned the the rents on the the existing facility that tends to create a good enough net operating income that we can pay for the expansion without coming out of pocket any more money. And then once we have the expansion, you can tend, if you understand how cap rates work, you can tend to build for a 10 to 11 cap on the expansion. And then uh, you know the values are around six and a half. So you can add a tremendous amount of value to your investors and to your bottom line by buying existing and adding, adding an expansion. So tell us a little bit about what does the life of someone who does what you do for a living look like sort of day to day? Like, are, do you consider yourself someone who works really long hours? Is it in spurts, maybe when you're doing an acquisition and then when things settle down, you can take a big vacation? Like, what is the, the quality of life for someone in your position? Sure, sure, that's a great question. I would start by saying when I was buying houses, my uh, life happiness scale or index was like very low. Like we were having to buy a ton of houses just to kind of make around $120,000 a year. And we were taking on substantial amount of risk, like seven, $8 million of personally guaranteed debt on properties that were maybe worth 10 or 11, but we had to pay nine employees to get those cycled, that sort of thing. So back then, I would say 2012 to 2018, there was just a lot of heartache. There's a lot of frustration and head banging against the wall. When I shut that business down, I read Ray Dalio's principles book. And, I, and one of my principles was, was to create a business that did not take all my time. And so when I created self this you know when I started investing in self storage we essentially I, I've built it in a way that there's not any employees so any money that is made is mine like we use BAs or we use 1099 contractors to you know manage or to uh, market our properties or to market our syndication company and so most of my day when when it's not I live in Texas it's currently like 105 degrees right now so in the morning I'll 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 do some yoga or I get my kids out out the door when school's in session then I'll do some yoga primarily for like just making sure my body can move and then I get ready uh, eat breakfast head to the office do what I need to do and then around 3:30 I I break away and go mountain biking and that's pretty much my kind of mode of operation most most days if we are raising capital for a deal my day to day schedule does change. We're meeting with people, we're driving around, we're driving to Dallas, driving to Austin, call, talking to people on Zoom, talking to people on the phone, just what we're, we're doing, whatever we have to, to raise that money. But once it's raised, we get there's fees that get paid when you do syndication. Syndication's somewhere around 3 to 5% per, per the purchase price slash you know, development. And uh, that tends to be a very large check. And after we do a successful raise, that tends to take a couple of weeks off. And I still might show up to the office, but most of the time I'm just kind of taking it easy, hanging out with my kids, mountain biking, kind of catching up on other stuff that I want to do, looking at our other the rest of our portfolio. And that takes very few hours a day to to deal with. And what does the future look like for you? If you were to look forward a few years, do you want to do exactly what you're doing today? Or do you have any plans for any kind of a change or pivot or 
maybe growth into different markets? Yeah, our, our plan is to continue to to buy two to three facilities a year. Once we have some exits and we have some proof that we are reaching our yields that we're projecting in our offering memorandums, we'll probably start a, a fund funds are to really justify paying for all the documents and time that goes into raising a fund. We kind of need to start around $100 million. Our plan is to do that within the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, we have a few properties that we're, are about to go full cycle, meaning that we're going to be selling them and the investors will get their money back. And, uh, and then we'll hopefully they'll trust us and give their money back to us again. And then once we have enough three or four full cycle deals, we'll probably... Our plan is to raise a significant amount of money through family offices and private equity. And then at that point, really get some key employees and really, really go after the market. I do feel like the storage market's only going to continue to grow. And I think it'll, like I said previously, I think it'll have the same trajectory that multifamily had from 2012 to 2021. So exciting. And for anyone that's sitting at home or listening to this podcast, maybe on a commute, who has dreams of starting their own thing, but uh, maybe it's just still stuck in a nine to five kind of job for somebody else. What would you say to someone like that? Because you did that. You were working for, for someone else. You had a job. And now you control your own destiny, have your own company. And it's, it's a big change. But it's hard to make that bridge. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you have a job that's just paying enough. Just over broke is the, the acronym for job, I think. I've heard that before. And so the biggest thing is, is you just got to take action. And taking action is exciting. And it's also equal parts uncomfortable. You don't know... When you show up at your job, you're, you, know you're get, you know legally they're going to pay you <laughs> until they fire you. But when you're buying real estate or you're starting a business, you don't really know if there's going to be profit at the end. And that's incredibly stressful. I would say... I still have that same fear sometimes. We'll do a deal. The deal won't work out the way we want to. There's typically... Normally, there's still profit, but we didn't 2x our money. We only you know 1.6x our money. And those are pretty discouraging, especially when you're selling investors on a 2 to 2.25x return. Typically, when I'm in that position, I'd still just like, I need to get something going. I'm like, so I'll go find a smaller storage facility or I'll even like try to buy a house just to get some confidence back. And and by doing that, that's that tends to get me right back to where I was. But as far as if you're in a W-2 job right now, try to do what you want to do on the side until that side gig pays for your your living expenses. But I wouldn't be opposed to like when we when I jumped out and started buying houses, I was I was literally in unemployment. And so like I was uh, supposed to be looking for jobs. And I was like, well, I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna get my real estate license. I'm going to flip a house and then I'll make enough money to not be on unemployment anymore. And like literally as my unemployment benefits ended, I made my first... I closed my first house and I was like, awesome. It's like perfect timing. And so the reality is you can be... If you have a job, you can be miserable at your job and you could also be miserable building a business. So you got to choose your misery. I'm not saying like everything is miserable. Like Either one of those can be incredibly fulfilling. You can have a job that's very fulfilling. You can have a business that's very fulfilling. But you got to realize that that if you're in a job and you're comfortable, but you really are uncomfortable with not stepping out into your business, just realize that like it's not going to kill you. It's not going to destroy you. It's not going to end your... You can always go back to that job. You know. So I would just encourage everyone listening just to take action. And then if it doesn't work out, you can just go back to that job or go back to another job. You probably are very 
if you have a job now, you're a good candidate, get a job in the future. And so by jumping out and taking action, you end up, you know, you got a 50% chance of being super successful. You got a 50% chance of going back to the job. And so you don't really have anything to lose. Well said, well said, because you really don't have anything to lose. The The downside of going for something that doesn't work out really is you could kind of come back to square one where you started. But if you never take the leap, then you're just going to be business as usual and not have any growth or change or uh, pivot in your life. So I'm with you on that. I think taking a risk is sometimes the best way to go. And I like that you said to moonlight and sort of do your what you want to do on the side if your you know work permits or if it it's complementary with your lifestyle and your work schedule. I mean, a lot of people spend a ton of time on social media and you know watching TV, watching favorite shows, and sort of doing stuff that if you were to just put a pause on all that entertainment and just do something in the line of work that you think you want to start a business in, you really probably can start making some money on the side that could be substantial. And if it leads to a point where you can give up your day job, there you go. You did it in a very slow, gradual way without a lot of risk. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Travis, on all of that. So any parting words for our audience today on you know inspiration, motivation? You've already been extremely inspirational, but is there anything else you want to leave people with? Yeah, life is short. If, if you think about the, what you've done already from today, like you take today and you take back when you were born, you know, all that is, is essentially gone. And so you have the future. And ultimately, like, you don't have a lot to lose. And you don't have a lot of time to lose it. And so when we get to the end of our lives, it's going to be like, hey, what did we do? Well, are we happy with what we did? Are we disappointed with what we did? And you should ask yourself, like, what is the best action you can take to achieve your happiness, like your future happiness? And, 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 that's, and that's where you really need to go. Like if, if starting a business is going to help you be happy in the future, then you should start a business. If keeping your job is going to keep you happy, then you need to keep your job. But ultimately, like everything takes action and everything takes decisions. And I would say no matter what decisions you make, just don't regret it. Because regrets are just thinking about the past and trying to change them and you just can't change the past. And how does someone connect with you, Travis, if they want to learn more about what you do in your investment firm or just about you in general? Yeah, you can go to investinstoragedeals.com and scroll to the bottom and there is a form to fill out. And that will be at, you'll be added to our email list and you'll start getting our, our investment offerings uh, through that. Travis, it's been great having you on the show. I've learned a lot about storage. You actually kind of make me want to declutter. But then, <laughs> where am I going to put the stuff? Probably going to go get a storage unit. So I think uh, I agree that it's, it's an area that's probably always going to be recession-proof. And actually, as housing becomes more unaffordable or you know people downsize or struggle, I think there is a need, an extra need to have a place where you can store things. So I wish you so much luck in all your endeavors. And I thank you so much for sharing your views today on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Guess what, lifestyle solopreneurs? If you don't yet have an online business earning you enough passive income to live the life of your dreams, I'd like to suggest you consider trying out Kajabi. Kajabi is an all-in-one solution where you can create and teach online courses, publish a paid newsletter, launch a free or paid podcast, process payments, build one-on-one coaching portals for your clients, and much, much more. I personally use Kajabi to power numerous successful and profitable online businesses. 
Lifestyle solopreneurs, there's a free trial of Kajabi waiting for you at this link, www.kfreetrial.com. You can try Kajabi for free, no obligation, by going to www.kfreetrial.com. Again, kfreetrial.com, and that K stands for Kajabi. Starting an online business helped me break free from that corporate grind, and I hope it does the same for you. You have nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and see you next time.